On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. This is a journey into sound. Welcome to a Rocket Pod Expo episode of Cobras and Fire with special guest Chris Sinzak of Decibel Geek. Today we're covering Anthrax, the Bush administration, Sound of White Noise, Stop 442, and the Lost Albums, Volume 8, The Threat is Real, and We Come for You All, plus dick jokes and potato chips. Cobras and Fire. I'm your host, Lewis Cannon, and I am joined, as not always, with my side action, Chris Sinzek. How are you, sir? <laughs> am I the, I'm the Loose Cannon side piece. Yeah, man. I'm pretty, pretty excited. I haven't been with another man for a while. Yeah, we've gotten closer over these last few years, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're, you, you get a little uh, action from Baco, and he's, uh, you know, I, I understand that Aaron Camaro is slumming with him on another episode. Yeah, there's like weird um, love triangles going on between the the mothership and the and the cobras in the fire. Yeah, so I have to say that the last time actually you and I recorded, I know you've done with, with Baco, but I think it's been four years. Wow, has it been that long? I think so. I think the last time you were on, it was either the Alice, maybe it was Alice Cooper, but that still was was three and a half years ago. Wow. Well, I, although if we're not counting the five-minute interview we did at the end of the first expo oh no i'm not counting that i'm counting that okay. like an official an, an official capacity it was that and it was the uh three sides of a shilling episode if you recall oh, yeah. yeah i remember that right in the beginning so what do you think it's been four plus years you've inspired such a uh you're you're, you're building quite a legacy <laughs> a legacy of dick jokes from you guys, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I've, I've enjoyed watching your show grow. I follow your show. You're one of the go-to ones that, whenever it comes out, I automatically listen to it. And um, yeah, I'm really proud of how you guys have done. And you've definitely been killing it with interviews lately. So the um, the Karabi interview was great. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yes, uh, I enjoyed when his dog. Uh, shut the shut the dishwasher <laughs> yeah that was my highlight 
Yeah, he, um, I, it's weird. You know, Karabi does so many interviews, but I never tire of ever listening to him talk. He just, I could listen to him talk all day. He just goes. He's one of these guys that you learn pretty quick. It's it's best to say your your quick question and then just step aside and he'll give you a yeah. lot. You know what I mean? I also learned don't go drink for drink with him when you're doing an interview. That oh was a god. That was a bad idea when we did the Motley Crew albums Unleashed. Oh, we I I staggered literally out of the bar that night. Before we go into the subject at hand, would you like to transition into something coming up this August? Yeah, the um, Rock and Pod Expo Part Three is happening August tenth. Uh, the Expo will be August tenth. We're doing a really cool pre-party concert the ninth at the same venue. Everything's happening in one place. It's happening at the Nashville Airport Marriott this year. Uh, bigger venue, uh, I think. Cooler guests this year, and uh, Cobras and Fire is coming back. That's like the big highlight, right? <laughs> sure, that's going to sell the tickets. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, exciting, um, stressful, crazy, like it always is. Um, but yeah, just you want me to go over some of the guests? Yeah, break down those dates again. Okay, August uh, Friday, August 9th is the pre-party the night before. It's at the National Airport Marriott Cumberland Ballroom, um, and that'll be with the Rock and Roll Residency, which features members of Ace and Jean's band. Yes. Also, um, a band out of the Cookville, Tennessee area called Eight Ball, and also Lipstick Generation who you may know because they have a podcast called The Lipstick Panel. So we actually have a band performing that are also podcasters at the pre-party. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, and I've heard their show uh, quite a few. And I heard that when um, – who's the main guy in there? Uh, Greg Troyan. There you go, Greg. I've, I've heard when Greg was on there. That was a pretty funny episode, whatever that like sneak peek of the Torpedo Dudes episode. Oh, yeah. Doing. Yeah, that was, that was a crazy day. But yeah, he, he did that with us. He also did a full Thin Lizzy history Uh, episode with us he's a great guy and his band's really cool too so um that'll be a good show to start off the weekend if you are a music podcaster and you want to be part of the thing um if you register as a platinum podcaster you get to be part of the first thing that's actually happening friday afternoon before the pre-party is we're going to have a podcast mixer where we'll have drinks served and you know podcasters can meet up and network and kind of just kick off the weekend and make plans and do stuff like that saturday um will be the expo it's going to start 11 a.m uh go through about 6 p.m and some of the guests we have uh kind of the headliner is michael sweet from striper who i know you guys are familiar with oh yes and he i'm trying to get him to do a pirate impression while he's there but he hasn't committed yet hello mateys this here is michael sweet i'm here to announce that sweet and lynch will have a new album out in 2020 called Squish, the best of Sweet and Lynch. It will have 10 tracks off our first album and none off the second. Also, Jason Beeler from Saigon Kick, Brian Forsyth from Kicks, Erie Vaughn from Danzig is coming back. Baco did a great interview with him yep. and also uh, did a great job moderating his panel last year. Also, uh, Jack Gibson from Exodus is coming this year. Rick Rule from Every Mother's Nightmare is coming back, and he was a character the first year, so I'm excited to have him back. Uh, Jeremy, now, is, is Michael is Michael Butler from Exodus coming too? I don't think so. I can only book one Exodus basis per year. Um, also, uh, Jeremy Barber from Green Jello, <laughs> Drew Fortier from Zen from Mars, uh, Drew and Jim from Wildside. Oh boy. Okay, we get it. You can stop now. And uh, uh, Toby Wright, the producer, is coming back this year. I'm excited to have him back, and he's excited to come back. We got the dates. We got the place. Rocket Pod Expo. We're good. 
uh, a guy named Steve Barnett from a band called Pump Five that's on High Vol Music. Uh, High Vol Music will also be having a booth there. So oh, Bill boy. Chavis from that record company is going to be in yeah. town. I'm excited to have him. Got um, exhibitors and, and vinyl vendors lined up. Let's wrap this up. Of course, dozens of music podcasts coming into town. We're going to have some live podcast sessions. We're going to have the podcaster jam, and it will not get cut after four songs this year, I promise. Do you pinky swear? Otherwise, it's not legal. Um, also, uh, a lot of the guests are doing signing sessions, meet and <sighs> greet. Most of the guests tend to do free autographs, so hopefully that'll stay true this year. Covers and firewall. Um, Come by to the booth. Jerk socks, face fans, churny wipes. We're going to have a rock and metal music museum, which is going to basically be like stage Jesus played Christ. and worn Am gear. I mute? Um, we're gonna. Ha- this is another new thing we're doing this year. We're having rock themed cosplay. So, Ooh. There, there will be several uh, attractive females dressed as some of your favorite rock stars walking around. Nice the- females this year. I like it. I know. I had you know. It's costing me a lot. But no, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, also, uh, raffles and prizes. We'll have some really cool stuff to raffle off. And uh, I can't. I can't. Okay, really... that's it. I'm playing you off like the Academy Awards. You're out of time. You're not picking up on social cues. And just, you know, a lot of community. That's kind of the biggest thing about it is, you know, so many people, so many friendships have been formed through this thing for two years, and I'm sure it'll happen again this year. And as I was going to mention, if you're a music podcaster or you want to be a music podcaster and you register um, to be a podcaster at the event, there's different levels of registration, and um, we're going to have an education track, which will have speaking sessions on you know, ways to build your audience, ways to do video podcasts, ways to transition to it, ways to do live remote recording. Because you Somebody know, get the hook. podcasters like to go on location and do interviews with bands before and after shows, and there's always that irritating noise where I'll have somebody there that will tell you how to get the most out of oh, your for fuck's uh, sake, equipment. Give up. And also uh, all that stuff, and then we're gonna have live podcast sessions all day that'll be professionally recorded and divvied out to the shows afterwards. So. Um, and I'm still working on guests. There's still, there, as you know, uh, we never stop until almost the week of the show announcing guests, and that won't be any different this year. Can you hear me? Yeah. Well, I've been trying to get your attention for a while. I've been busting your balls doing your whole spiel, but uh, I was on mute. <laughs> now, if I could ask for just a li- little more on the what I thought was really cool is the the pre party is uh, describe the for for <clears throat> if anybody's like on on the. You know, considering going, describe who the rock and roll residency is. Besides the fact that yes, they are Ace and Jeans back in band, but what kind of show they usually put together and, and things like that. Oh sure, uh, it's really cool, and like it, I'm spoiled because I live here in Nashville and get to see right. these guys all the time. But if you've never seen them live, I mean, they're worth the trip alone because, well, a they're amazing musicians. They, they and they, you know, they they play in Ace and Jeans band for the right reasons. They both. They all three grew up just obsessed with Kiss, and they know every song forwards and backwards. But the residency show is basically a '70s rock cover show, but with a lot of twists. Like they, I mean, you're going to hear the songs played as faithfully as possible by amazing musicians. But they also have tons of guest stars that just get up on stage. And if you don't know, I mean, damn near everybody lives here now, and right. and those guys know all those people. I've seen some jaw-dropping performances of guests with them. I've, uh, you know, Alice Cooper freaking got up there with them one night. Um, that was that was insane. Yeah. That was my first Alice Cooper show. The first time I saw Alice Cooper was in a small club with the residency. And uh, that's awesome. How many did you do? Three songs? Two songs? He did like four or five. Wow. That's yeah, awesome. it, yeah. It was like 20, 30 minutes. It was it was really cool. And um, 
but he's at that Robin Zander from Cheap Trick has gotten up there with him. I mean, uh, Derek St. Holmes is a regular guy who, who jumps up on stage with him. And yeah, if you haven't heard these guys play Stranglehold with Derek St. Holmes singing, I mean, it's Ooh. it's amazing. So you get all the all the good Nugent material without the political commentary. It's <laughs> perfect. Yeah, like it. you get you get the solo without the. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't I don't like Nugent's music. I just like his politics. Anthrax, what was your gateway drug? Anthrax I got into uh, first. I initially, my first exposure to Anthrax was I'm the Man, I believe. Um, I was, was I. Yeah, I was listening to a lot of hair metal at the time, and that was all I was really into. But my brother had a friend that would drive us around and go to the mall like everybody else did in those days. And, and he would play the cassette of I'm the Man over and over and over. And I do remember it being cool because it was just so... It was just so different from everything else, and um, although I didn't know until like decades later that the the chord progression is, well, I don't even know what the name of it is, but it's like this old traditional Jewish thing, you know, da 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 da. That is pretty funny. I had no idea until Scotty had mentioned it in an interview. I'm like, oh god, that is what that is. But it's um, you know, it's 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 a it's pretty much a dumb song, but it it was revolutionary for its time. Um, but my f- best friend growing up, as I was getting into Kiss majorly, he was getting into Anthrax majorly, and he loved the Belladonna era stuff. Like you know, like he definitely had Persistence of Time, State of Euphoria. He loved all that stuff. So it did it did rub off on me, and I I eventually got into it more. It was just weird though to go from hearing I'm the Man being the only thing I really heard from them, and then getting into the older stuff, going Wow, this is way different from that. Um, but yeah, it was that was kind of that's how I got into him. How about you? Uh, pretty similar. Yeah, I'm the man was the first thing I ever heard by them, and and then also I had no idea. Well, first off, did you know it was Sam Kennison? On the oh oh. <laughs>
on that EP too. I was like, man, the song I really like on this EP is a song called Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. Yeah, I remember. I did love that too. Yeah, it was like one of the first Sabbath songs I ever heard was through them. I never heard that. There, you know, that was the first time I heard that song. Is my point? Yeah, and, me too. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So I was like, you know, they, they just seem so different. I mean, here they were, this metal band that uh, you know the guitarists wore a Public Enemy T-shirt, but then you <laughs> it, was, it was kind of jarring to go from that to then I bought State of Euphoria, and I liked it. I didn't love it, but then I think I got Among the Living then. And then went to State of Euphoria and then kind of went went from there. But it was just so, you know, at that time, between that and then throwing out that uh, Killer Bees album, they were just a very different metal band, right? Oh, sure. Yeah, very unique. They definitely had their their own sound to them. Nobody sounded like Anthrax at the time. and But yeah, and then, you know, then they... They fire Joey or he left, depending on who you believe, and then John Bush enters, and then they drastically change their sound again. Right. And also, I, I, I forgot to mention, too, on the Killer Bees would kind of help seal it, too, is the whole covering Parasite. I was like, okay, and they also are crazy about Kiss. You know what I mean? It was like this extra feather yeah, they, cap or whatever, you know? Their cover, their Kiss covers are some of my favorites. Are you equal on them? Do you like the Bush era better? Belladonna, Belladonna, potato, patata. I guess I go back and forth. So I guess I'd have to say I like them equally because, I mean, there's been times where I'll listen to nothing but the Bush era, but there's also times I'll go back to the. I, really, they kind of made me a believer again with the kind of pun intended with worship music. I thought Belladonna was fantastic on that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But okay. uh, I, don't, I don't know. How about you? What do you do? You have one that you like better than the other? I like a lot of both. I can I can tell you this much. Like, have you seen them live before? Yes, I saw. Well, I saw them with John Bush. I haven't seen them with Joey. So I've seen them twice with Bush and three times with uh, Joey. And those last three times were just in the last couple of years. And while I really liked uh, definitely the most recent show that I saw with them, there's something missing. The fact that you know those four albums that we're going to talk about today are nowhere. They don't play anything off them live. And when I saw them with Bush, both times still were better because they played everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I would have to say I just like them equally. I saw them with John Bush in Lawrence, Kansas at a place called the Granada. And I was like, God, that must have been 2000, 2001 or two, I think. Okay. I can't remember. can't remember what year. It was when I was living in Kansas City. And I made like an hour and a half drive to, to see them. And there wasn't that many of us there. That was the saddest part. Sure. Yeah. And it was great, they, though, right? Oh, they were amazing. Played a great set list. Like you said, they played, you know, they covered pretty much all eras. So I, you know, I had a ball and it was great to see them. I I, I still want to see them with Joey. They just, the, the, the time they've come here with Joey, I haven't been able to go. Yeah. Like, um, Similar story on that was that I saw them in a little club in 2003 supporting We've Come For You All. And that the concert I saw is the one that you that is filmed for that Weapons or, or uh, Music of Mass Destruction DVD. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah, that's a great DVD. It's, it's basically the date before where they filmed that. At. It's oh, okay. exactly exactly the same set. And, you know, two hours of just amazing rock, so... You know, I, I guess, you know, it just depends on what day it is. But I mean, I, I just I'm happy that I can be a fan that appreciates both eras of the band, because I know there's a lot of Joey hardliners that they don't look like any of the Bush stuff. 
And it was like, it seemed like a lot of fans just sort of just ditched him when Joey left the band. And I'm sorry, but as we'll go through these things, they missed out on some great tunes. So let's crack into Sound of White Noise. Now, this album, you know, came out two years after the Black Album. Um, it was kind of a mystery back in the day. I don't know if it was for you. Tell me what that was. It, I was never completely clear why that Joey all of a sudden left. Because all of a sudden they've got this notoriety. They were all on MTV with that whole... Um, when it did bring the noise, right, with Public Enemy? Yep. And then all of a sudden, poof. It was like the biggest they'd ever been, and then gone. I really don't remember. I mean, I, I remember all there was a lot of rumors about it, like that he was unhappy in the band or that the band were making decisions without him. And I don't know, or maybe they just wanted to modernize their sound, and they were like, you know, the high-pitched vocalists are, are kind of not in vogue anymore, so we got to get something that's got more of a gruff type, you know, vocal. So I don't know. I don't know the actual story because it varies on who you listen to. Sure. Well, that's what I think it was. I mean, that's, I think that's a real story. Is, is it, it was kind of a, a weird thing. That was that it was either, it was kind of polarizing, I think, Joey's vocals. You either loved him or you would listen to Anthrax because of him. Wouldn't you say that's an accurate statement? Yeah, well, I mean, and for a metal band, Joey, I mean, <laughs> let's face it, Joey really didn't fit. I mean, he right. was, he came from, he came from like a Steve Perry type of school. He was into Boston and journey and all that stuff when they auditioned him. And it's kind of odd that he wound up in the band in the first place. But although I guess anything's better than Neil Turbin, I know that's going to piss off some of the old school fans. <laughs> piss off me. I still have not heard that album. Uh, I, I, I look at all, all it took for me was, was, was the, uh, well, is for a band that has a, a bunch of great album covers, Festival of Metal is not a good album cover. Would Why? Because it looks like because it looks like a fifth grader drew it. <laughs> Just a guy. hey guys for our first album. I think Eddie Trunk had something to do with that album cover. What do you think? Well, he had something to do with everything, didn't he? Well, he did. He did. He signed him. He made him famous, and he said, "Hey guys, let's have a fist going through this guy's mouth, and that'll get you on the the shelves at uh, Walmart, right?" I, well, I didn't tell you that the fist hitting the guy's face is actually from the Incredible Hulk, and then he jerked off right afterwards. <laughs> I knew you were waiting for an Incredible Hulk, an entry point, somewhere to put that in here. Uh, I always love a good callback. <laughs> oh, God, the Hulk. Uh, I, I still am going with the fact that he would have actually ripped his dick off. Um, now thinking of course about he more. Yeah, I mean, Well, I don't know, though. He has Hulk dick. I know he does, but still, I mean, just the force. It doesn't matter what, what you're built of. If you have enough force, I think you can just, you know. If he's hulking out, it's gone. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, if you can Hulk slam a guy through the earth, then your dick stands no chance, really. <laughs> I think that's good. That's Again, like I said, it's science. Yeah, science. <laughs> Hulk! Smash! Like you were saying, you we end up with kind of a mystery to this new singer. I don't even know if I knew that they had a new singer until all of a sudden that I heard only on the radio for the first time. No, I knew about it because um, uh, I remember Headbangers Ball would, was making a big deal out of it for a while, like during the time they were recording this record. Because they were, and they kept hyping up, like, they've got Armored Saint Singer. And I was just like, who's Armored Who? Saint? Yeah, yeah, right. I didn't, I, you know, and I didn't come to appreciate Armored Saint until just a few years ago, but now I freaking love them. But, uh, but back then I had no idea. And I was all into my hair metal. I was like, you know, who cares about Armored Saint? I've got White Lion. Um, well, I'll admit it. <laughs> but but uh, my best friend though, who was a major Anthrax fan, he was very skeptical, and he was just like, "Ah, they're not going to be the same without Joey, and this isn't going to be very good." But 
boy, were all fears allayed when the uh, video for Only premiered on MTV. And I was at his house, and we—I remember us—we we couldn't wait to see it because it's like, what is what are these guys going to sound like? We get you know, no internet, you had no idea what it was going to be. Right. And we were both completely blown away by it. I mean, just is one of the best and i'm gonna say it's 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 more of a hard rock song than a metal song it's sure. it, it's not a really a metal song but he's a diehard metal fan but even he was just like this is fucking good and uh and we couldn't wait to go out and buy the record after we saw the video no i mean like that's been quoted many times but uh james hetfield has has said you know that's a one of the, a perfect song right yeah Perfectly written song it's got everything you need all the right elements and you know his immediately i was you know drawn to his uh, his voice and everything as that you know this is a game changer and another thing about it too was just that even though know, you're hearing on the radio i was like this is easily the best sounding anthrax song i've ever heard right i think well i'll go as far as to say it might i still think it might be the best song the band's ever done
think that's I think it's a sin the fact that they don't even pull they for a few years, the first two times I saw them with Joey, they played it and then they dropped it. I don't get it. I, well, really don't get- I get the fact that it's it Joey doesn't have the same voice for it, but come on, just sing a little lower. How is that not that the crowd not gonna just every time I went, the crowd went nuts. But then yeah. they just they have that whole just like the whole thing that drives me nuts about the whole eras of different bands like Kiss and everything. Just let's not play this section of our mm-hmm. history. So, but uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, it may be their best song of all eras. Yeah, I think it is. I, it's just, yeah, I'll never forget watching that video for the first time and just my jaw dropped. I just I couldn't believe how good it was. And although, you know, it, you know, it, things get spotty after this record, but we'll go into that as we go. Sure. Sound of White Noise is, is, is one of my top albums of the 90s, period. Doesn't matter. Like, just from a production standpoint to, I could just put it on from Potter's Field all the way to, to what this is not an exit right yeah well and even um black lodge which is a big departure for them is a great oh, song. it's incredible even they have a, like a remix version of it too that's actually uh good as well i mean just the point is like looking through this i'm like picking a song it's just an album you know what i mean like it just flows like if you actually take the it's one of those things like if you like any great album you take certain chunks away i can't really pick and choose off of it and the production from dave jordan his work with I mean, I was looking at his discography. I mean, there was a while when, even if it was a band that I wasn't that big of a fan of, I, was, I would at least check them out because he was the producer behind it. I mean, he not an Offspring fan that much, but the ones that he actually did with them are easily their best. You've got, you know, he did Alice in Chains. And just when this came out, I, I just put on the headphones. I was just amazed. I think this is one of the Big Four's greatest produced albums. I'd agree with that. Yeah, I mean, looking at the track "Room for One More," that's another great one. I just, yeah, the whole thing's good. And then you had the bonus tracks with, uh, I, of course, I have a soft spot for the Cowboy Song cover by Thin Lizzy. Yep, they do a great job on that one too. And uh, off Vitor Zane by Cheap Trick, that's great. I, I just, they were really at a good creative peak at this point. And you know, I, I'm a Dan Spitz fan. I I've always loved his playing in the band. And, you know, this was his last album with the band, which I thought was a shame because I, I wish he had stayed on board because I love the solos that that guy would churn out. And if they could have kept this lineup together, I think it would have been a stronger decade for them. No, I mean, it, again, Anthrax perfectly rated because they can't keep their shit together between labels, between uh, band members. There's just something going on at the core of that band that... Uh, that turns things against them. I mean, they had, and with that said, second single should have been Black Lodge. Mm-hmm. What was yes the second? No. Oh, I, oh, I thought room, it was. There was a third one more. Oh, right, right. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I like it. They were probably a little nervous to put that one out second because it's a, it was so different than everything else. Strangely. Black Lodge actually got a lot of airplay here in Nashville when it was out. I do huh. remember that. It was on all the time because I, I was in a in a band at the time. I was in high school playing in a band, and you know we'd always do Friday and Saturday night rehearsals, and we you know I'd be driving home at two o'clock in the morning, and that that for some reason that song would always come on super late at night.
Probably this, I, you'd have to say this is the most complete album of the Bush yes. era. I'm going to start calling it the Bush administration. Ooh, um, I like that better than Bush Thrax. I think that's what we're going to call this, Anthrax, okay. the Bush administration. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> kind of funny that 9-11 and the Anthrax scare happened during the Bush administration, too. Ooh, so, that's yeah. true. That's yeah. true. Pretty hmm. creepy. That's odd. <laughs> wow. It's getting deep here, Sinzak. I know. I realize this is a, a comedy and rock uh, talk show where we talk about Hulk jacking off, right? Hulk smash! Right, right out the gate, they hit their their top album of this era. But with that said, there are some great things coming down the coming down the road here soon for them. But but again, this is their biggest selling album, hitting gold, I believe, and that was it. Should have done much better than that. Yeah. It just it died quick. And then just two years later, 
I remember going at Purdue, going to this little CD store and convenience store called Discount Den. You could get the new releases for eleven ninety nine. That's a bargain, Chris. Yeah. You got that? that is a discount back in the day. And I was just in there, what's out this week? Didn't know, looking around. And then I saw this naked dude with a big thing of trash, <laughs> a big ball of trash on there. And I was like, what the hell is this? And really small font in the corner, not their same logo. It says Anthrax. I'm like, huh, I didn't even know Anthrax had a new album out. I think I will go buy this. And I took it home, and that was Stomp 442. Uh, yeah, and it said the Butcher Brothers, who I know. Uh, actually, did you know the Butcher Brothers produced one of your favorite bands, Crisscross? Cross? Right, Chris? <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> Did you know that though? Did you know that? No, I had no idea. I will say they're they're aptly titled because they butchered Anthrax's sound on this record. Oh my god, dude! I'm glad we're on the same page here. Um, <laughs> I think that's it's it's uh, perfectly advertised the fact that there's a big ball of trash on the cover. Yep. Yeah. And, I, and bef- yeah. Before we go into this too, do you know where that album cover is is from? I found this today looking looking on their Wikipedia page. I, I don't know because I never uh, look at Wikipedia for any reason. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> a break. If Wikipedia went down, Decibel Geek would be offline. Aww. <laughs> for a second. You guys are excellent. I mean, if you imagine if you could make money reading reading from Wikipedia on a weekly basis. It would be a great life. Let me see. Here. That's what Patreon's for. Oh, is that right? Okay. <laughs> Anthrax. Uh, you should have an extra special. Just... Uh, Aaron reads Wikipedia. You could have that as a sister episode to the Torpedo Dudes. You can bust my balls back. You realize? I'm going to. Don't worry. Okay, about good. It. I just was waiting. You're like in, yeah. the, in the you're like in the shadows, ready to pounce. My brain's working a little slow today, so I'm having a hard time coming up with comebacks. Okay, so here it is. So I'll just give you a little more information on the cover art. Now I am reading from Wikipedia right now. In a 1996 interview, Bruce Dickinson revealed that that album cover for Stomp 442 was actually cover art done for his album Balls to Picasso. So that that he passed on that one. <laughs> Smart move. <laughs> right? Uh, but yeah, so tell me, I mean, when you found this album, did you know it was even coming out? Because there's I no did. promotion. I did because of my best friend who was a massive Anthrax fan. And uh, and I was – at this point after Sound of White Noise, I was a huge Anthrax fan. And Metal Edge was hyping it early on, <clears throat> saying how it was going to be this amazing follow-up to Sound of White Noise. And you know, here's the date that it comes out. And me and him went down to the Sam Goody record store back when those still existed and bought it on release day and got in the car, put the cassette in. And we're kind of like, man, this just isn't as good. And I mean, just kind of immediately, the set, the production is just god awful on this thing. It's, I don't know what the hell they, I don't know if they were trying to sound like a grunge band, if that was the, the aim, but it just doesn't work. I mean, there is, there are good riffs on this thing. There's good song, there's a few good songs on it. Um, but it just, it, it sounds like a very misguided, confused album to me. No, I just think the songs aren't very good. I, I remember trying to like it at first, like Random Acts of Senseless Violence, maybe mm-hmm. King Size, and feel probably the first three songs are, I don't know. The first few are the, the best. American Pompeii is okay. I don't know. I just, the second half definitely sucks. Um, 
there's one song on the second half I liked a lot, but the I mean the one that I that I picked as my pick for this is Fueled. I think it's by far the best song on the record. Uh, not to say that it's amazing or anything, but it's it's probably the most cohesive tune on the record. The other one I would pick would be Tester. I think that one's okay. But when I'm saying that one's okay and it's one of my picks, that's not a good sign. <laughs> no, I know what you're saying. Like this one did not. I mean, whew. I'm I, maybe they just heard it. And just didn't promote it. I don't know what it is because at this point that was they were still on Electra, and then they were it, they were Gonzo. Like it, basically after this hit the streets, they were gone. Uh, yeah, Electra didn't do anything to promote this. I don't know. Like I said, if it wasn't for my best friend, you know, salivating over the fact that it was coming out, I wouldn't have known. Because otherwise, I saw other than Metal Edge and a little bit on Headbangers Ball, I saw really nothing for this record. And and they brought in Paul Crook to play lead guitar. I'm not real crazy about his playing on this, um, but as we go further to the next one, I, I, I'll have much better things to say about him. And then this is also the beginning of the trend of having Dimebag play on their records. Mm-hmm. Uh, he plays on, I think it's King Size and Riding Shotgun. Uh, his solos are great, but the songs are just not that good. You know? No, and actually King Size is actually... Oh, okay. It's all All the music is by... Charlie. Every yeah. single song is by Charlie on this one. They're not any co-writes, actually. That's interesting. And then yeah, it's all he, just he, random. He, they yeah. randomly change whoever's on on lead, Crook and Dimebag. That was odd. It was like this like just revolving door of whoever the fuck was playing lead. Yeah, and it's fun. as we go further in, you'll even Charlie plays lead on some stuff. So right. he's he's kind of the the Svengali of the band, I guess. Yeah. In back in the day, I, I didn't know he was playing guitar. You know, I didn't. I don't. Did you know then? No, I just assumed he was just the drummer the whole time. Yeah, just a just a dude that plays the drums and likes comic books. That's all I knew. Yeah, uh, it's yeah, it's a it's a strange record, and I did go back today and listen to it again. Like, let me see if this resonates with me anymore, and it just really didn't. I mean, first, like you said, the first two or three songs, I'm kind of like. Okay, it's not not as bad as I remember, and then it, then it was just kind of downhill from there. And right, like the song "In a Zone" is terrible. Perpetual Motion, I don't like. Uh, Drop the ball isn't any good. And then it ends with this ballad. Well, at least, at least that one's at least that one's aptly titled. That's true. Um, and then it ends with this thing called "Bear" that is it's like Oof. a total let's let's make a grunge ballad is what that is, yeah, and it's... it. It doesn't work. It's just, uh, yeah, it hasn't aged well. I know there are some fans that just love this record, but it, it's one of those that this is one of those where it's kind of like um, every at least once a year, I'll try to listen to Cheap Tricks, The Doctor and convince myself that it's good and it never happens.
some revisionist history too. You know, I I do like how Scott Ian, you know, the spokesperson, uh, the talking head for for the band, always you know he's basically a uh, a bit of a politician because he always like at this time he bashed the the success of this in interviews around the time of the fact that John Bush just didn't didn't bring his game and his vocals do kind of suck on this album too. The whole it, thing kind of sucks. Yeah, it sounds like a half baked thing, right? Yeah, yeah. But I come hate on, to say man, because I, I love Anthrax. But yeah, I mean, I'll. But if something's bad, I'll say it's bad. I don't. The, the one was it the latest one for All Kings. I didn't think it was very good either. Nope. There was one song that was a rewrite of uh, "In the End," whatever that was. <laughs> that long, whatever their epic was, and their most lazy. Like everything was kind of like a rewrite of whatever worship music was great. That wasn't as good. Well, worship music actually had full songs. Former All King has, like, okay, we have an idea and a half. There's a song, and it just yep. they, they don't make the, the only thing great about Former All Kings to me is Jonathan Danaeus' lead playing. I think he's amazing on it, but they, the songs are just not there. Yeah, they're not there. The, the good thing, the only thing about, good about For All Kings is it had they had at least two intermissions. I could take a piss whenever they play live now when they play those songs. volume eight the threat is real so here goes another one where for years you know again this is the the time of i don't even think metal edge did metal edge exist anymore Maybe. <laughs> they did <laughs> yeah. like like in 1998 i think i i think i still looked at that or i mean circus is probably gone what, what would you read to find out when the new anthrax album was coming out I was I still had a subscription to Metal Edge at this time, and I remember them promoting this next record. And but it's not the Jerry Miller years, so you got no pictures of Joey Allen and Janie Lane's birthday parties. But <laughs> it was the the Paul Gargano years where it was trying to be more modern. This must have been where I knew about this album then, because I do remember Metal Edge continuously getting thinner and thinner. If I yeah. if I uh, recall, uh, it was more and more, more ads, a lot of ads, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, and way more black and white pages. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's and I, I that was it because I'm now you you got my memory going. So I remember seeing the album cover, which you know with transition. This album cover is badass. You know what I mean? Like I think it's got everything you need from Anthrax from the cart from their whole cartoon. Uh, like I always like State of Euphoria too. Mm-hmm. Are you a fan yeah. of this album cover or don't like it? No, I like this one. This is. I have a huge soft spot for this record. I yeah. this one, this one made this one got me completely back into the band, even though nobody gave a shit by this point. Like it, it, it got no. It was on Ignition Records, which I think the I think the company went under right as the album got released. If I if I remember hearing right, is there and anything else by Ignition you've ever heard? They they were working with some of the older like heritage rock and metal bands. I can't okay. remember okay. any names right off the bat. The bat, but they so like a Spitfire. Yeah, very similar to Spitfire. Whereas, you know, it was probably operated out of some dude's apartment. Sure. But um but yeah, this came out in ninety eight and uh I uh, I love this record. I and I liked it from day one and every my best friend who was the anthrax fan had Stomp four four two kinda ended it for him. He mm-hmm. He's, he's just like, I don't care for this. And then I tried to play this one for him. And he's just like, ah, they're, they're just doing rock songs. They're not even a metal band anymore. And I'm kind of like, yeah, but it's cool, though. <laughs> you know, it's um, although there, there is some goofy stuff on this record. I mean, let, let's not let, let's mention it first. Uh, well, Hogtide's one of my favorite tunes on it. It is, it is stupid, but um, which but is the one about which is the one about a, like Godzilla like stomping, like going over the Hudson River? You ask me, can I I will. I do want to mention though that did you know that there's um, before the song Hogtide starts, Hogtide starts, there's a uh, cameo by Mark Giacchini from Three Sides of the Coin. Really, he's eating chips. Yeah, there's a guy eating chips. <laughs> <laughs> That's where he got a start. I heard. Are you sure he didn't do the intro for Born Again Idiot? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Chris, my erasure's well worn because I make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> Unfortunately, the royalties in this album didn't didn't help that much. Yeah, not really. <laughs> and then there's a song called 604 that's 35 seconds long, and it's just about a, a fat chick named Katrina. Oh, I know that one. Yeah, there's <laughs> that one. There's that silly cup of Joe. This album, the thing that's kind of cool is um, this album is sort of a more straightforward version of Attack of the Killer Bees in a way. You know what I mean? Like it has... I mean, it has a little of a. I guess what I'm saying is that they throw a bunch of silly anthrax of old stuff into some amazing rock songs too, right? The yeah. ignitions. They're on ignition records, so at this point, they're like, "Let's just make whatever the fuck we want to make." Right, like Toast to the Extras, I think, is a straightforward 
Attack of the Killer Bees type song. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a bash thing on their uh, either their road crew or people that are hangers on. I mean, oh, yeah. if you know the lyrics, or John Bush is kind of slamming people that follow them around. To pick, a, I mean, there are a lot of good songs. Like the, Phil Anselmo does a cameo on "Killing Box," which is a pretty cool track. Mm-hmm. Um, Alpha Male is a good song. My favorite song on it, and to this, it was when I bought it, and it still is, is "Catharsis." I think this song, and it's definitely just a rock song. It's not a metal song in the least, but it's so well constructed. Bush's lyrics are great. The melodies are great. The riffing is great. I, I love everything about "Catharsis." No, this is a solid album, and I remember picking it up too, and it took a while for me even to find the damn thing because no regular stores had it. I think I got it like a – I may have had to actually order this. That's when you know you're a big Anthrax fan, when you have to tell the guy or any music fan, right? Because you, back in the day you'd say, hey, man, I need this album. Nobody else wants it, but I do. Yeah, I ordered it through the mail. Wow, okay. Yeah, I remember. I and I think it was from Metal, Metal Edge. I think they had an ad to, to order it through – I can't remember. I, I, like you send off a check. I think that's how it worked. But 98, though, this was a very hazy time for me because I was doing a, a number of things <laughs> I couldn't be doing. Sure. Um, I'll just say that the, the eight ball on the cover was very fitting for the things I was going through. Ooh, nice. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't like, I don't like cocaine. I just love the way it smells. Drink brass monkey, like the beat funky, nickname Easy E, yo, eight ball junkie. Bass drum kicking and show my shit, rapping hole in my dick, boy. I don't quit, cry, rock motherfucker from around the way. I got a six shooter, yo, mean I'm brave. Rolling through the hood to find the boys to kick dust and cuss, crank up some noise. Police on my draws, I have to pause. 40 ounce in my lap and it's freezing my balls. Look the right turn and let the boys go past. I say to myself, they can kiss my ass. Hit to get drunk, got the eight in my lips. Put in the old tape, Marvin Gaye's greatest hits. Turn the shit up, have the bass cold rumping. Cruising through the east side, south of Compton. See a big ass, then I say word. I took a look at the face, and the bitch was to the curve. Hold on my tip for the title I'm holding. Easy E's fucked up and got the eight ball rolling. I was cool kicking ass. I was Yeah, since the the moment I heard it, though, the song I thought was really unique 
and you know, kind of new metal. It had just just this, this crunch to it. Was Inside Out track three, and just the lyric too. I thought I knew what provocation was. I've eaten from the insane root that imprisons reason. I have no idea what that means, but it sounds badass. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like old Jim Morrison lyrics, where it's like, "This makes no sense, but it sounds cool." Right, exactly. <laughs> and uh, I assume, being a fan, you've seen. The, somehow they got funding to make a actually a pretty cool video for this song. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've watched it, but I do remember it. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking about my my memory of 20 years ago, thinking that it was cool that they redid the Twilight Zone Shatner uh, Nightmare at 30,000 feet. Yeah, which is pretty legendary. And I, I, I always appreciate that about the Anthrax guys is they always would wear their influences on their sleeve and, and pull out references and callbacks to things that they grew up on, which I always appreciated. Yeah. I just, it's, it holds up. I, I still go back to this record pretty often. It's funny that it was recorded at Krusty's fun house in Yonkers. Door. <laughs> of course you're not reading that Wikipedia. Are you? I, I had a committed memory. I'm telling you.
light and dark, how balanced would I am? And I remember everything we said, we found a way. Nothing cry, nothing hating, the way think this arm won't break. I put it out there, it comes back. I put it out there, it comes back. I put it out So now five years have passed. It is, we have survived Y2K, right? Yep. Yep. And it's 2003. And Metal Edge, I'm just going to call it. I'm going to say it's gone. By that point, I think it was. Because this is one of the first couple albums that I was part of, like, finding out about it online. Like, either from, from actually, I had moved from Metal Edge to Metal Sludge at this point yeah me too okay so yeah. now we've we've moved online i think that there is at this point i don't know even know how advertising was done back in the early 2000s online or thing like that but i remember being aware that this album was coming out only from that kind of promotion and yeah. uh, does that sound familiar to you too well yeah and also the the dime bag daryl thing i remember getting a lot of play online even though it wasn't a new thing for anthrax to do that it's still it still got headlines of, you know, Dimebag Daryl to appear on new Anthrax record. I remember that that got a lot of traction through sure. some of the sites I followed. But yeah, I remember I bought this on release day too, and I was not disappointed in this one. No. And and the thing that I love too is this may be my favorite album cover by them. Oh, Maybe. it's amazing. Yeah. You think? Yeah, I think it's awesome. It's one of the best ones they've had. And they're, they're pretty solid in this. And it, it kind of combined, you know, it was, it's this, I don't know if it's the, have they used the same artist multiple times? Uh, this was, this was a guy named Alex Ross. I don't know if he did the other ones or not. I know they, the last few records have been the same artist. I don't know if it's this guy though. I just love I it. Cause I don't look at Wikipedia or anything, so I couldn't tell you. Uh-huh. And I, I believe <laughs> this is the first appearance of the, the A slash uh, pentagram. Yeah, I think it was. Which I thought was just badass too. Yeah, this is, I mean, this this is probably the most cohesive record they put out since Sound of White Noise. Easily. Yeah. Yeah, volume eight, was, volume 8 was great and fun. And again, it's a solid album. 
Uh, obviously, we've already said our thoughts about Stomp Four Four Two, but <laughs> but the the one of the first things that hit me on this too was they were on a basically no label, right? They're on oh sanctuary, so basically no label, and but the production sounded fucking great again. Yeah, well, you can thank Rob Caggiano for part of that too. And that was that was interesting to find out about him much later on of why going back to if you're a Volbeat fan all of a sudden realizing and and the damn things and and production he's done you know after that coming back you realize why yeah he's I mean he's a great guitar player but he he knows production to a T and yep and he was you could tell he was a big part of this sound especially with everything he's done since then but yeah I mean I remember listening to this for the first time and just being taken aback by how big it sounded like everything this is the biggest sounding album they did since sound of white noise easily yeah, one, one of the biggest signs they've they've put out period i mean you if you listen one of the reasons that worship music is so great is because rob kajiana produced that too i think yeah. sonically uh and these two are very similar in in that sound oh yeah for sure i mean it's and <clears throat> this was one where I and like my I keep going back to my friend who I grew up with that was the Anthrax fan. <clears throat> I bought Steve. this on Yeah, Steve. Um actually his name's Wes. But I uh, I bought this on release day <clears throat> and immediately went to his apartment and was like, you gotta hear this because I, I gave the whole thing a full spin and the song that I picked is what I tried to turn him on to with it, and that's uh, Nobody Knows Anything. Cause he was my best friend growing up, but he was also the drummer in my band when I was in high school. And Charlie was like his hero all the, at that time. And I was just like, if you don't listen to any other song on this record, I want you to hear this one. And I played that one for him, and he was very impressed with it. He just, because he's just like, that's the drumming I've been wanting to hear since, since you know, Sound of White Noise. And, yep. and Charlie puts on a fucking clinic in that song. Turn atrocity 
Oh, all I know is going to ask you. So they always kind of they all start off their albums with a, with a thrash number in the in the Bush era. So what doesn't die? This one, Crush, and you know nothing on Stop Four for Two. We just forget about that one. Or Potter's Field of those three, which is your best? Uh, what doesn't die? It's a split. I I was I'm going to go Crush. Okay, I like Bo- Crush too, but I like this one better. But I understand that you're not a safe home fan. Don't like it. Never have. Um, it's you don't okay. Even like, you don't even like watching Keanu Reeves walk around in the video? I like it less because of that. <laughs> What's that about? <laughs> That's such weird. I'm like, they're, they're, they're completely off, you know, uh, off any major label and just randomly Keanu Reeves is a fan. <laughs> it just decides to be in that video. I don't know what that was about, but I... It, it was definitely a terrible choice for a single. It's like, <clears throat> is, you think really think radio is going to pick up an anthrax song that, you know, that late in the game and, you know, just put out something that, that causes you to bang your head and be done with it. And you don't Understood. need to put, a, don't put a ballad. It's not a, not a bad song. It's just not, I'm just not particularly crazy about it. No, it's not, it's no black lodge. I hear you. All right. I don't know. What, what are your favorites on this one? Man. Uh, <sighs> I remember that they said that they, they did a complete kiss vibe with Cadillac Rockbox, which I didn't catch at first, but then I do hear kind of that kind of that classic ca- kiss ish riff. fun song taking the music back the fact that roger daltrey actually does that scream on it like again how do you have roger daltrey on this album at this point in your career um i guess he wasn't doing anything then either but (laughs) right (laughs) i think that song is amazing yeah that's a great song too you got um even funny names like strap it on and I, like you said, that, that that drum clinic with nobody knows anything. I, I the only song I really don't like on this album is "Superhero." Yeah, that one's that one's kind of meh. And again, this one sold. I think it said that it was they did really well because it sold eighty thousand. You know, now nowadays you'd be thrilled selling eighty thousand. Period. Um, but I think it sold eighty thousand out the gate, and then it was done. I think it sold a hundred thousand total. Is what it says, and it was out. It was over. Wow. It's a shame. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Between <clears throat> this and Volume Eight, these are the those these are the two missing albums. That's a, that it's a sin if people just don't know if they're Anthrax fans and they've just dismissed them. Foolish. Well, that's the, that's the saddest thing is you know there's a lot of people, probably people that we both know that have never heard these records or even given them a shot, and 
I don't know. It's it, both records deserve so much more. That's the only thing with Anthrax, which you know, as we've said, you know, they they are professionals at shooting themselves in the foot and taking attention away from them because of some of these decisions they make. Um, but it's just a shame that it's it's one of those bands that I think deserved a much bigger audience than what they got. But you know, they kind of bring it on themselves with some of these decisions and. You know, we're not even going to touch the Dan Nelson year, I guess. Right. I mean, that's the whole thing is that, that they, you know, they were so supportive of John Bush that they re-recorded all their classics, The Greater Two Evils. And when that didn't do well, they just ditched them and went back with Joey for a reunion tour, right? Well, you know, they, well, when Dan Nelson, like I got heard that maybe Joey left. I can't, it's so hard to keep track because they flip-flop singers all the time. That there was a period of time where they and John Bush said in an interview that they actually did come back to him and said, we want you to be the singer again. And he was just like, too little, too late, guys. I'm not doing it. Well, that was after, I believe, the whole Dan Nelson then trying to get then they tried to get Bush to do worship music. And then they said, fine, fuck it. Let's just do Joey. And he ended up knocking it out of the park. Yeah. Thankfully for them. But yeah, yeah, but they wanted John to come back. And John makes more money doing the voice of the Burger King guy than he did in Anthrax. Which is an amazing story. And he just likes doing Armored Saint. By the way, I should mention too, I had not heard Symbol of Salvation, Armored Saint, until about two years ago when um, Wind Hands Down came out. And I started going back in Armored Saint's catalog since I love that album. Yeah. And and I did not know. Have you noticed what a similar sound? It's it's also produced by Dave Jordan that that, that album has to Sound of White Noise. I've never a beat them, but I'll do you it. You got to a b them. I mean, it is it is. They absolutely heard that album, and because they were they were not they were not a band that sold records, so I didn't I wasn't even really aware of him or John Bush, like you were. You're like, who's Armored Saint? And right. That is actually a very close template to what Sound of White Noise is in vibe, the sonics, everything. So a b it. That's your little your little homework. I, yeah. for this I mean, thing. I. I love both albums, but I haven't really like tried to com- compare and contrast the production. But I'll definitely do that. Yeah, there's definitely they definitely got what they were looking for. Is all I'm saying. They don't, oh, they don't rip off Armored Saint, but there's a lot of similarity to what they were going for. So, and, Ar- uh, and Armored Saint, yeah, not to change subject too much, but you know that's another band. If you haven't checked them out enough, you know, do so. Um, I spun something off Delirious Nomad this past week, and man, there's just so much good material from those guys. You know, they're, they're another hidden gem of metal. You know, I, I still hope that maybe one day they'll do something with anthrax. will do something with John Bush again, but you know, I don't know. It seems like the no. personality clashes and the egos are probably not going to allow that to happen. And they're, I mean, honestly, Joey's their meal ticket. They're going to make more money with Joey as it is. If you were hearing this, Chris, what is the, what is the message we are trying to tell people? For, for this era. You've probably heard Sound of White Noise, but what do they need to do after this episode is over? First, well, yeah, I mean, I, I think we both appreciate Volume 8 and with all its quirks, but if you're new to the band and or, or all you know is Sound of White Noise from the Bush administration, um, yes. I would probably do We've Come For You All next. That'd be probably a good one to kind of ride into. Agreed. Then do, then do Volume 8. And then ignore Stomp 442. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Those are your instructions. Yeah. I mean, we we played something off Stomp 442 today. That's really all you need to hear. <laughs> That's correct. All right, Chris, you want to wrap this up? Yeah, let's do it. All right. 
So before we get out of here, I'm going to actually give you honors and you get to pick another track from We've Come For You All. And But before we do that, tell the listeners a little bit more about Rock and Pod Expo. Okay, Nashville Rock and Pod Expo, <clears throat> Friday, August 9th, Saturday, August 10th. Friday will be the pre-party. Um, at, all of this happening at the National Airport Marriott, pre-party with the Rock and Roll Residency. It's going to be a great, awesome show. Saturday, the Rock and Pod Expo with uh, Michael Sweet from Striper, Brian Forsyth from Kicks, Jason Beeler from Saigon Kick, Jack from Exodus, Erie Vaughn from Danzig. And best place to go, go to rockandpod.com, get your tickets. Also, you can book a discounted hotel room there and just stay on site all weekend. Dr- drink all you want. Don't worry about driving and uh, we'll take care of you. And uh, yeah, that, I mean, that's basically the broad strokes. And uh, and if you can't make it to Nashville and you want to help donate to the cause, go to rockandpod.com. We'll go to the ticketing link and there will be a donation button there and you can uh, you can help us out. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Looking forward to seeing you and Baco back in Nashville in August. And I, I think we're going to have a good time. Oh, yeah. Rock and roll party of the year. Looking forward to it. Thanks for organizing such a uh, such an event. I mean, the fact that it actually is has become a reality and now in its third year is just it's kind of mind blowing. I mean, and, and, and again, also, thanks for inspiring uh, myself to waste my time doing this in my basement uh, on a weekly basis and, um, you know, uh, avoiding my family. Well, dare to dream. That's right. You, <laughs> How many other ones are, have you spawned, would you say? I don't know. I've lost count of all my illegitimate bastard children. <laughs> As you should. Oh, man. But no, I mean, you're all legitimate, I promise. You know. uh-huh. All right. I took, I took your mom's out to dinner first. Hey, now. Good steak yeah. dinner, I hope. Yeah, of course. Well, okay. you know, Sizzler, but, you know, it's not mm. something. <laughs> Hopefully this, they had good sneeze guards there. Yeah. Well, yeah, I've, I've got rock and pod money. I don't have that much to go on. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure it wasn't Shoney's? Rock's not dead. But it was an inside job by the Bush administration.
figure we'd start with, you know, just kind of talking about, you know, Borscht versus Belladonna and Belladonna. Belladonna. Joy Belladonna. <laughs> Belladonna. Belladonna. It's all potato, patata. You know what I mean? Yeah. Lee Roth and Low Roth. Exactly. And man, I've been yeah. hanging around with Baco too much. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know the pronounced thing anymore. Arr! Hello, mateys! This is Michael Sweet of Striper! I'm looking forward to seeing ya at the Rockin' Pod Expo. But first, here's a quick joke. Why were the attendees of Firefest mad when they got a lettuce salad? Because they were promised arugula! What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.